Good evening and welcome to a very special edition of the Elite. Special. <laughs> special. Much like the Bulls' performances, they've been very special. To a special edition of the Elite Rugby Banter podcast. Um, for a change, Andrew the Birdman is in town. He's, you know, in town collecting awards, picking up feathers and collecting more awards. We we'll, might just touch on that a little bit later. And as such, we thought it'd be a good opportunity to do an in-person podcast. Um, Phil, I believe that is the f- a first for this, you know, collective. Definitely for us. I don't know if um, it's been done before with others, but yeah, it's nice for us to be around the same table to see each other and talk rugby. I mean, given given you had access to the pods um, fun strings, you know, to fly you all the way to Japan, did you know? Did you ever see any draw downs from it to fly Ben from Mauritius? Um, yeah, I can't say I did. So then, no. then I'm going to claim that as a momentous occasion. Um, Famously, uh, Adam and Alex never met. That's also very that's true. true. Yeah. So. Fair enough. There we go, guys. Breaking records. Um, <clears throat> and speaking of records and awards and recognition, Andrew, you're in town. Tell us about your special achievements. Jeez, uh, I don't want to claim sole uh, <clears throat> responsibility, but um, now I'm down in town for World Travel Market Africa Conference at CTRCC. And uh, BirdLife South Africa won an award for diversity and inclusion in tourism. How much um, did you contribute to that as white Man, as, as, as a straight white male, yeah, uh, <laughs> not very much to the quotas that they were measured against, but uh, I ran the guide training program, which uh, works in local communities, which was recognised. So that's why I said I don't want to take full credit because I'm a small part in the team, but I was lucky to be able to accept that award. So very cool. Yeah. That, is, that is very cool. Um, but it also opens up a very nice segue quickly. It's just as you are involved in birds in South Africa, and griffins are technically birds. Can you claim? their success over the bulls um no i'd rather take uh, some claim to the nw eagles um who are top of the varsity cup at the moment but um the griffins yeah i'm i'm not very partial to them so uh we'll try and try and keep it to the eagles i mean i think that those both touch on very nice things in that the griffins beat the bulls and you know who else beat the bulls the eagles as did everyone else beat the uh, Touch University, <laughs> which is essentially the Bulls' training side. Um, the Bulls also have lost their, what, however many last games in URC and Champions Cup fixture against the Losers weekend. So all around, it's just really not a happy time in Pretoria. Um, do you guys have any thoughts on what could be going on? Do you think Jake's illness is just a virus and infecting the entire team? Yeah, the Bulls have got the Blues. Potential <laughs> episode title. <laughs> the Bulls certainly do. Um... I think they've been stretched a bit thin. They've tried, I think they try more than other teams to keep it more level in terms of Curry Cup and URC, like not having two separate teams. And last year they managed to do that successfully, but this year I think they've just gotten a bit unlucky. Lost their way in the last few weeks and had a bad draw in the Champions Cup. You know, we were saying no one maybe would have beaten Toulouse away. So, yeah, it's just gone badly. I mean, the Toulouse boss is trying to talk the Sharks up as favourites for the weekend, which I think is a very strong stretch. Mm. Um, like, uh, to be fair, I, I mean, I can see where he's coming from. If you look at those teams on paper, they're pretty even. Sharks fan is coming out tonight. No, no, no. <laughs> like, I'm going to caveat everything I'm saying is that I can hear where he's coming from to try and talk it up. As in, if you haven't watched a game of rugby this year, all you watched was the Sharks' performance against Munster you could then say that was a more dominant performance against a better team than to lose put in against um, the Bulls. And if you look at the Sharks roster, you know, it's the entire Springbok front row, Ibn Etzebeth, Khaleesi, 
Um, then we've got pretty much Springboks 1 to 15. Most of them still like current frontline Springboks. They've got more current internationals than the Toulouse side has, and that's saying a lot. But that ignores the very big elephant of the room, which is the entire rest of the Sharks this season. <laughs> yeah. Well, most recently, the performance against Scarlets, which was horrendous. Well, and getting nulled by Ospreys. Yeah. Like, they've lost to two Welsh sides. <laughs> I think the, I worst, mean, the worst performance was at home against... Was it one of the Scottish teams? Yes. No, it was Ospreys. At home, oh, 35 yeah, oh, I thought it was Yeah, but that was the worst one. I mean, that was without Springboks, but losing that That's heavy at home is just... Yeah, that was the final straw for Everett, I think. Yeah, yeah, you got fired after that game. Which, yeah. So it's been a poor season for the Sharks. They are just about holding on for a playoff spot in URC. Mm. They've done pretty well to make the last eight um, in the Champions Cup, but so much rides on this week, I guess, in terms of a successful season. Yeah, I mean, I... I don't see the shark beating Toulouse, unfortunately. I mean, it would be really cool, um, and I don't, I don't think it's the most, the biggest upset, because in theory they can. You know, they've got the qualities of players to do, it. and if they click, they are incredibly good if they do click. But that's, you know, not 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 something they've consistently done for a large chunk of this year. Um, you know, so I think we're all kind of hoping, on from a shark's perspective, that John Plumtree gets in that jersey soon. It sounds like he's pretty much lined up for the job, which is which is fair. I mean, I don't think Neil Powell was ever meant to be the the head head coach, especially with mm-hmm. zero experience. So, getting someone like Plumtree back in, who you know had a pretty good run with the Sharks, making yep. the Super Rugby final, and is now going to coach with New Zealand the Hurricanes. I think he won with the Hurricanes at least as an assistant coach for Japan. Like that's a great great signing to bring back in. So that hopefully could turn their season, their season around next year. So I think the goal now is just get some more experience in the Heineken Cup, make it at least into a decent seeding for Heineken Cup not a lot next year. They're not mm-hmm. going to win URC realistically. Yeah. Um, whereas, but yeah, someone doing doing very well in both competitions <clears throat> is the Stormers. Um, you know, just romping home across the board. I mean, they gave Leinster their biggest or their worst results of the last year and a mm-hmm. half or something silly. Yeah. Um, you know, clapped. Harlequins until they decided they didn't read the clock properly and realized that the game actually plays until 80 minutes. Um, but you know, comfortably won that game. Um, so yeah, they, they're looking really nice. Andrew, you, I see you in your, your province jersey, which we will touch on slightly later. <laughs> well, I have uh, two province slash Stormers jerseys. One is with me in Joburg and then the other one lives in Cape Town in case I'm in town want to go watch again. So I thought I'd pop it on for the pod. Um, I wish that, you know, let's talk about that Leinster result. <clears throat> yeah, draw, what was it, 22 or something like that? 26 yeah. or 22 all. But they were 17 nil up though, weren't they? Once they were, and it's disappointing because there's a good chance that at some point in the knockouts now the Stormers are going to come, come up against Leinster. As in the final, you mean? As in the final. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, two, yeah. Well, yeah. And um, it would have been a really nice psychological blow to beat Leinster, and I think the psychological advantage now is... Uh, is, is with Leinster because they weren't playing their top side. Mm. All their Irish internationals were at Gary Ringrose's house or at least recovering from. <laughs> so unfortunately, it, it means that they're likely to face the full strength team in the final and likely at home because of the, the log placings. Um, so we'll see come that, I mean, anything can happen in that game, but I think the advantage psychologically at least is with Leinster. Look, Leinster do have a 0% win record against African teams in playoffs. <laughs> it's pretty <laughs> crazy. True. Yeah, I mean, that's what everyone else is hoping for. They lose one of their playoff yeah. matches. I mean, yeah. basically the Stormers won to some extent URC because the Bulls did them a favor and beat Leinster away. Yeah, yeah. I make that argument. Um, but yeah, I think it's actually good for the Stormers to experience those conditions because the conditions were horrendous. Um, yeah, and, and part of the reason why they were 16-0 up and then 
you know, it reversed was because the wind was blowing one way the whole match. So mm. they'll be a bit more used to that if they have to go there for a final, even though they'll be against, you know, a host of Irish internationals or different Irish internationals. <laughs> um, so I think it'll do them good having this experience. Yeah, I mean, I'll acknowledge I didn't watch the game. I wasn't on a, on a plane, but my understanding of the game is that the Stormers' backfield defence was really poor. Their positioning was not great, and the Leinster tactical kickers took really good advantage of that um, in the second half to pull them back into the game. So either Blomikis will learn from that, which, let's be honest, it's probably not likely. He's, <laughs> he's a one-trick pony. He does his trick well, but he, he's decidedly decided mm. you know, doesn't invest in any of his other... Tricks, um, <laughs> which which might be why they played Willemse yes. at fullback against against Harlequins. Yeah, um, didn't start this weekend. Yeah. Look, that be, that being said, it, I mean, it took seventy minutes for Harlequins to figure it out. But there's a lot of space in the Stormers' backfield. I mean, as mm-hmm. soon as those last ten minutes, I mean, Andrew, you and I were both at that game. They just every single first phase, they were just putting little grubbers through, and they scored three yeah. tries in ten minutes as a result. Um, you know, so so. That's probably the Stormers' biggest work on is to try and figure out how to, you know, their front, front line speed is really good and their first up tackling is good. But, you know, there's a lot of space in other parts of the field that they need to figure out how to defend. Yeah, and having some of those <coughs> Stormers back consistently will help as well. I mean, uh, having Willemse back and uh, Malhoba and the others is, is good. Um, Kitzhoff had a good game as well. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, let's hope. Um, it's a little bit sad that. Ruben van Heerden's cup tied uh, with uh, Champions Cup because um, he's been a real revelation this season, I feel like. Uh, with the Stormers' injury crisis at lock, um, he and uh, Ben Jason Dixon have really stepped up. Um, youngster coming through the ranks, so good to see with uh, Marat out and uh, a couple others. I can't remember who else was injured, but... Um, They've got Ori, so I mean, they're already carrying man down. Concentrate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, we were saying before the pod how all the transfers internally in South Africa have gone really well. Um, oh, I'd say Ori's has gone well. He was just working off a really, really low base. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm not his biggest fan, but compared, me compared to Ant, I think, yeah, that, that will be one of our permanent battles, Ori against Ant. It's just a concept. <laughs> just, just objectively not a very good player and makes dumb decisions. Look, he makes better dumb decisions than Ryan Smith, which we will touch on a little bit later but yeah i feel like ori's just a you know he's like a rob simmons play he just yeah. does dumb things he does you know, he like, does he's his one thing well like he does the line out well but everything else he mm. makes he gives away the dumb penalties that's what i mean that's like thing, and it yeah. irritates me on a player that's like looking to be a nuisance exactly. to try and get it's like a darcy swain you know trying to like mm, yeah. get under <laughs> the place get it just like being an idiot and then costing your point your team three or four penalties you know yeah. like a toje as much as i deride him as well and i you know will stand by that at least he gets those, wins most of those fights. You know, his, his entire brand is just being a dickhead. Sure. And, you know, he, he does that part very well. There's other things he doesn't do well enough, but you know, that's because he's playing out of position. Um, but that's, again, uh, we'll, we'll get on to England later. Um, but, yeah, so it's, it's exciting to see that, you know, a lot of the Stormers, you know, because guys like Ben Jake and Ben Jason Dixon's been in the setup, Ernst Van Rayen have been in the setup for a little while. Even guys like Gary Porter, they, they are kind of really coming of age now. Showing mm. that they do have that grunt. Um, you say um, BJ is coming of age. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I mean, it's someone, good said, <laughs> someone said it. Um, they, they really go to serious lengths not to call him BJ, <laughs> and especially Dixon. Like, <laughs> his parents must Surely, have thought that through. They must have known. But also Ben Jason is like the weirdest it's hyphenated all, name. <laughs> I mean, without, without too much judgment, I've never heard of something like that. Yeah, no, that, that, that's odd. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I will just just on the mention of Malherb, uh, acknowledge that he is a very large human. <laughs> um, yeah, of course, you were on a flight with him, huh? Yeah, I, I was happy to fly back because they obviously, I think the South African team has got to deal with Qatar, so mm. we were on the same flight back from Doha. And you know, kind of saw you know, a reasonably large guy in front of me, and I was like, oh, that's, and then realized it was Diamati, and then I saw a very, very large man in front of you know, a couple of people ahead of him, whose calves were bigger than my torso, which was Dweba. Um, and then, like, there's a couple of guys sitting, and obviously by the stage, I realized it was the Stormers sitting in a row. So there's a lot of the backline guys, like Hartzenberg and Willemse and Libok, and then someone whose head, and I'm not, I'm genuinely not exaggerating when I say it was about two and a half times the size of the next biggest head in that row. Like <laughs> the guy that I was traveling back with, we've teased him his entire life about the size of his head. Like it is, like his brand is just that he has an obnoxiously large head. And his head was about half the size of Melville's. <laughs> like it's wow. just, it's he is brains. a large, large man. Um, and I suppose that the, the, the most ridiculous thing about all of this was that they all flew economy with us. Like the locks at least got the front rows, like by the, by the exits. Dweber was in an economy seat the same size as mine. And, yeah, I mean, on the one hand, I was like, ooh, it'd be lovely to sit next to a storm on the flight home. On the other hand, I'm like, I would actually like to be able to breathe. So yeah. kind of, um, you know, glad that didn't happen. But, um, it, yeah, it was it was a bit ridiculous to see. And, you know, that's a nine-hour flight. Like, that's it's not a quick hop step. Yeah, um, I can't imagine, like, a guy above two meters. I, I'm, like, 186, and I struggle with, you know, the space in front of me so someone who's up to two meters like yeah, no it's, yeah. it's ridiculous and and on top of that just the flight time to go via doha mm. you know like these guys are coming from leinster back to cape town that adds an extra 10 hours minimum to your trip time so they played Leinster on friday they got back to cape town you know lunchtime wednesday sorry lunchtime sunday could you know would have taken the night off maybe trade monday so you've lost a two days training they obviously played harlequins one now they're back off to london gonna do the same trip so they're going to lose two days travel there, two days travel home, and then have to play Leinster in Cape Town. Sorry, not Leinster. Um, anyway, they have to play someone else. You are CK again back in Cape Town. And they've lost in, in, in three weeks, they've lost, what, six to eight days in travel? Um, you know, it's, it's a ridiculous setup. I don't know how that's going to be addressed going forward, but it's definitely something the tournament organizers need to look at, like, because from our perspective, we're just seriously hamstrung by that. I mean, that's on top of all the other financial struggles. It, Sounds like our teams are going through. I mean, hearing stories of people eating and teams eating just hot dogs, yeah. paying for their own laundry, like walking down the roads. Yeah, know, I don't know. Taxis. I don't know how true it is, but like I've read about the URC money only kicking in after a couple of seasons, so I don't think that's kicked in yet. So yeah. apparently, more money is coming, but it hasn't yet come. So, but if you have a deal with Qatar Airways, surely they can stick them in. Yeah, business class or first class or to me. one would hope so especially if they're doing it this often it was obviously just a bad deal we have negotiated yeah. or, or it was like, just the only deal on the table if they didn't have money for flights and at least Qatar stepped in and said like look we'll help you yeah. but like, only economy yeah, yeah but, but the alternative is you not traveling you know or just putting the storms under even more financial yeah, stress so like mm-hmm. you know it might just it maybe is just the least of, of two evils but I mean that's, it doesn't <clears> seem like a sustainable situation yeah. I mean I remember it was I think it was 2018 when we got that record loss to Ireland, the Springboks. Okay. And like one of the excuses that came out in the paper the next day was that, you know, our whole team was flying on economy. Yeah. And that was only just like a direct flight to London or something. Yeah. <laughs> that basically that they'd messed up the booking or there wasn't enough funding or something. something and, you know, guys like Etzebeth and Lurt were sitting with their knees around their elbows, yeah. um, like on the flight to London. And that was, you know, only a one week prep. So, you know, so, you know one can imagine 
I mean, I know how I, shit I felt after two days of flying and <laughs> no, like, proper sleep and stuff. You know, to try and perform as an athlete, doing that every week must yeah. be impossible. Yeah. Um, yeah. You can see why teams are sending understrength squads. Yeah, it's, it's just not yeah. worth the travel. Yeah. Um, but speaking of, of, of just regularly underperforming, I think this is a good enough segue to get us into the um, Six Nations where England recorded yet another bottom half of the table appearance. Or performance. Um, Phil, as the, the resident England fan, I don't know again whether it's a point of pride or it's a badge of honour that you can bear so much suffering. <laughs> what is going on there? Like uh, most teams respond to having a new coach. I think, yeah, obviously not much of a response to that, uh, to the change in coach, but um, a l- not a lot to be positive about, to be honest. It's just been pretty poor. Like in, in terms of individual performances or like single games to look for it's been pretty bad across the board like there hasn't been one really really good performance where you can almost be like okay we're building and that's giving you optimism for going forward so really not a lot to write home about i think that like just like growing pains that's the biggest positive as an england fan you can take like this is a new coach it's going to take a while for some stuff to bed in and there's not a lot of time until the world cup obviously as we know so yeah, I mean, the, yeah. this tournament was their developing exactly. phase because yeah. you know, it's not like, you know, in the Southern Hemisphere teams, we've got four or five, we've got four uh, rugby championship matches and then one or two warm-ups, you know. So yeah. we've still got the bulk of our development or like the mm-hmm. last touches to do. This was the Northern Hemisphere's yeah. time. And maybe, maybe that's a doubt, you know, just an unfortunate factoring that, you know, the World Cup's in September. So the Northern Hemisphere teams have a serious tournament so close, you know, where they can't experiment and tinker, you know. France, Ireland were going full full guns blazing, or Scotland going full guns blazing. Actually, so were um, Italy and England. The only team that was maybe doing some experimentation was Wales. Yeah. Um, and even that's just, you know, arguable because they didn't really have any other options. But whereas, you know, us going into the rugby championship, yeah, it's great to win, but, like, that's really the secondary prize at that point of the year, like two months after the World Cup. Um, whereas, you know, people are going to remember the six, this, this Irish Six Nations yeah. Grand Slam for mm. forever, you know. It's only what their third one ever. So like this, this is a really big deal for them. And even if they lose the World Cup, Ireland have arguably had a successful twenty twenty three already. Yeah, and I mean, came with that Irish Grand Slam came with Johnny Sexton doing it in his last Six Nations game in Dublin and setting the record ahead of Ronan O'Gara, I think it was for the most yep. points scored yeah. in Six Nations. So. Yeah. Extra special for the Irish. And winning every game by double-digit scores. Yeah. I think they got a bonus point in every game. I mean, it was a, a hands-down domination of that tournament. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it does set the expectations high, though. I mean, like you said, it's still successful for the year. I love like for them. Yeah. <laughs> As we know, quarterfinals are their kryptonite, so it's going to be such a big one. I mean, it's... And it's not like they have an easy match either. Yeah. So our expectation is that, you know, they'll probably be better than Scotland and South Africa and Scotland will go through to... I mean, South Africa and Ireland will go through to... <laughs> Become excited. Yeah. Suddenly, Andrew is very happy. <laughs> but then Ireland will play one of New Zealand or France and... Yeah, that's going to be tough. And uh, yeah, genuinely, or or both of those, whichever way that matchup goes in those two quarterfinals, it's a lottery either way. And I mean, I, I don't know if I'd say France enters a game in France. Mm. Sorry, I wouldn't say Ireland enters a game in France as favourites. Mm. You know, I wouldn't say they enter a game in France against New Zealand as favourites, despite having you know the yeah. they've you know beaten them both the most recently. But like. 
I still wouldn't say they're favourites, you know. It's, it's very much an on-the-day type thing. I can't wait for that game, because I, I feel like a, a good chance Ireland-New Zealand, and for those teams, like, both of them, I think it's a bit of a disaster if they lose in the quarterfinals. <laughs> well, I mean, all four of us, to be fair. Yeah. Like, I don't know, I mean, any of the big teams, I mean, that's why it's so unfortunate, is that going out in a semi is unfortunate, but understandable. Mm. You know, but go, like, you know, we, we, in 2015, you know, losing to the All Blacks in the semi, we probably should have lost in the final, but, you know, we went over the semi, it wasn't the disaster that I think people made it out to be. Yeah. Um, but, you know, whereas the previous time we went out in the quarters, and yes, there was controversy around that, but, like, the quarters is just a lot worse yeah. than the semis. Yep. Um, and, and, you know, now that you're going to have two really top teams all going to have a failed World Cup campaign, campaign simply because of the, the, the draw. Yeah. You know, all four of those teams will beat any team on the other side of the draw. And so it's just, you know, it's just weird that it's, you know, coaches are going to lose jobs, players are going to be derided as a result of just bad drawing, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that's all by the by. Um, I think we can focus just on Irish, on the Irish performance for a little bit, because it was, you know, quality across this yeah. tournament. Yeah. Yeah, Ireland, <clears throat> I mean, we, we picked them for a Grand Slam, I think, in the last episode. I'll have to go back and listen. There were some predictions that were better than others. Um, I was certainly a bit... Uh, brilliant about Italy, for instance, but um, we're talking about Ireland, so they, they are looking good and they were consistently strong across. I don't think there was a game that I felt that they were not, uh, you know, the, the better team by a fair margin. I mean, so not surprisingly, the Italy just, game was probably one of the ones they were pushed closest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and they've, they've got a really good squad, they, they rotated nicely. Um, I think one of the criticisms we had about Ireland was that they their best 23 is exceptional, but maybe they're missing some depth and maybe they answered some questions in this tournament. Definitely. Um, so that's good for them. They're a scary prospect at the World Cup, but um, we know that Ireland usually peak too early. So I love the fact that they are, are looking really, really good. Because yeah, I mean, as Steve Hansen said, they were world number one going into the last World Cup as well. <laughs> and, you know, that's how, how did that work out? So, no, I think, I think that, that comment around the depth is really important. Um, you know, the, so much of their game relies around the fly-half dictating terms and being mm-hmm. the general. The worry was that, you know, a 38-year-old concussion-prone player, it's, a diff, it's a, not a great person to base your game plan around. Um, but, you know, I mean, the, the guys that are coming in <clears throat> in backups are really playing well. And, you know, yeah. you even look at the performance of someone like Conor Murray. You know, it wasn't a fair to company that, that Jackson Garden Bashup was going to get his jersey back. And even Craig Casey played really well. So there was really strong performances across the board and I think a lot of the like good but not world-class players kind of stepped their game up mm. guys like Ty Byrne, Kalen Doris, Dan Sheer, guys that really like proved that they're at that level. Yeah I mean some of those that you mentioned I think are now considered like that top tier someone like Doris or Sheehan you know before the tournament I think they would definitely be nowhere near our list of like the very best but now mm. they're probably you know right up there so and um I think Rossburn being a more competent backup than Carberry is a key one too. So. Yeah, I mean, Carberry's lost his jersey even at that provincial level now. I think they've obviously lost face in him yeah, finally. But, I think you know, I mean, Rossburn yeah. was a really good, handy replacement. So I think that, again, is an additional worry for, for the rest of us, uh, the rest of the teams. You know, because now I mean, six to go down, Ireland don't fall over necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so who, where would you put France's chances. I mean, they, they seem to have a very slow start, you know, obviously very close to losing to Italy in the first game. Um, but the, again, that's not a, not a, the biggest indictment because Italy played really well this tournament. I think, I mean, the only game that they lost 
comfortably, um, apart from maybe the last 10 minutes and a couple of them, was, was the Welsh game. But every other game, they were really strongly in that game and pushing for a win. One or two you know, ball bounces the other way in the last 15 minutes, they, they were winning. I mean, that includes England at home, Ireland and France in Italy. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think, and even Scotland, you know, I mean, yes, the, the scoreline blew out, but that was because it was an 80 meter try or 90 yeah. meter try on the final whistle. Uh, Italy were on the Scottish line going for the win. Mm-hmm. So, and I think Italy had a much better tournament than, than we were expecting. But point remains, France started slowly and maybe it was just unlucky that they played Ireland in the second game. And I mean, the, the way they finished that tournament could have could have been quite a different story, I think, if it had mm-hmm. gone the other way. Second game and away in Ireland, yeah. game, which, like we said, gave Ireland the, the odds on for the Grand Slam. Uh, France, yeah, they started slowly and I was a bit worried that we... we Again, being a bit, uh, a bit strong on our predictions of France's performances to this tournament, but um, they are picking up. I mean, they have they have an incredible number of players, especially younger players coming through. We talked about the flair. Um, so France were good. Uh, Italy, man, I wish they'd just beaten Wales. <laughs> I was, I was, we we we'd said like I'd Italy, Italy. Things. We expected we expected them to come out of this tournament with like some respect. Uh, and having some good games that we can talk about and some good play and encouraging like development, which I think but they did. Yeah, but we also sure. we also said that their par for this tournament was it was one win. Yeah. Didn't matter who it came against, it was probably gonna be Wales. But uh, just unfortunately they stumbled yeah. there. Yeah, um, I, I agree completely. We said one win would be fine, two would be amazing, zero would be a failure. So yeah. I mean a lot to take away for them, like you said, they and I worry about them that they're one of these teams that become, you know, like a neutrals favorite because they're really fun to watch. They're really exciting. Even like, I mean, they have some amazing backs, but even some of their forwards are just really, really fun to watch. But I don't know how that translates into like effective performances. So in the long run, I think they are getting better and hopefully this will lead to more wins and more competitive Six Nations going forward. But I have a slight worry that they're always going to be this fun team and they're never going to be able to translate it as much into like a, like a really efficient and effective team. It's a really tricky one. And I think we've seen you know, this, a similar story in the rugby championship with Argentina. Mm. You know, yes, we've definitely mm. seen huge improvements in Argentina. You know, they've, they've went from, they joined the tournament, I don't think they'd ever beaten us or New Zealand. And you know, they beat us within the first three or four years and they've beaten us now home and away. New Zealand, um, you know, they've beaten New Zealand now at home and stuff. You know, so there's definitely improvements, and they're getting those kind of wonderful performances. But you know, New Zealand, Argentina, still realistic, winning one match a tournament, maybe two. You know, they they're still by far the worst team each year in the in the rugby championship, despite the improvements. You know, and it, it's I suppose it talks to the fact that like in order for Argentina to win more, it means New Zealand, South Africa, Australia have to lose yeah. more. And it's the same thing in the Six Nations. For, in, for Italy to win more, you know, this year was why we had such a good chance for it, because Wales was so poor. You really thought, like, there's the opportunity to take the win. But, you know, if Wales are playing, like, a normal level Wales, who, who's Italy, Italy going to beat to get that one win that they deserve on the back of their performances? Because they do deserve it. They're playing really well. But, you know, they're not going to beat France regularly. Yeah, they're, they're always or even fifty percent. You know, it's, it's tricky. Like potential giant killers. They're never going to be giants. Yeah, um, so you need to kind of have a separate tournament with like your Argentina, Georgia, Italy, Japan. You know, all of those like mid tier, like maybe not tier two, but like halfway between tier one and tier two tournament teams. Mm-hmm. 
because then it's actually comp- competitive. Because if you have a, a six nations with, you know, the four, four nations, France and Africa, that's competitive apart from the fact that we're going to dick everyone. But, you know, at least <laughs> it's fairly even. Um, look at historical win records in South Africa. We've got a greater than 50% win record in Europe. They've got like a 10% combined with the record in South sure. Africa. We win the six yeah. nations. It's not an argument. Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> who wants to have an argument? I don't. <laughs> Carry on. Sorry, when was the last time the island won in South Africa? Uh, I don't know. No, I'm not arguing. Well, okay. Shit, Wales won in South Africa not so long ago. They're true, but they, we still won twice. Yeah, it wasn't a nice series win. Yeah, That's nice what I'm saying. So oh. they've got the odd win in South Africa. We win at least 50% of the time in the North. No. So on average, we can win the tournament. Not the point of the conversation. The point is if we make a second, <laughs> like a mid-tier tier, tier yeah. two, Georgia, yeah. Fiji, Japan, Argentina, Italy, yeah. like that would be a nice... Wales. Wales, <laughs> Scot- Scotland sometimes. Scotland, yeah. Sometimes Scotland, yeah. Sometimes Scotland, yeah. Like that's <clears throat> fair, and they should kind of do that. Um, I mean, because they've been but, talking about this new international yeah. thing. I, I don't honestly, I don't know the details enough about it. To oh, speak I do. To it's horrific. But I, I was going to say, I, I think it doesn't speak to what you're saying. It so. does. It doesn't speak to them. What they essentially all they're doing is they're taking the three, the, the June three test tours, and turning those into an automation series, which makes zero logistical sense mm-hmm. and takes away one of the really cool aspects of the game like the really nice draw card of the of the, the june tours um is that you get to have a mini little series a mini tour of the country yeah. like a mini lions tour you know that's what's nice about the lions you play the same team back to back yeah so on the one hand you've got that which is just nostalgic and great and actually makes for good viewing on the other hand, to expect a Northern Hemisphere team to fly South Africa, Argentina, Australia three weeks in a row and play games and expect to be competitive is ridiculous. Yeah. You know, the reason on the Ottoman internationals you can get away with it is because it's not a big, very long <laughs> flight from, at worst, Padova in Italy to, like, Scotland. Yeah. You know, you can do that in six hours. It's chilled. It's not the same thing doing it in the Southern Hemisphere, especially when all the Southern Hemisphere teams are staying at home. So yeah. it's, it's, it's silly because they're taking away a really good aspect and significantly disadvantaging one group of teams in the process. Um, and, you know, then you can get all the details of it. There's no preparation relegation for the next, like, six years or something stupid. Mm. And even then, it's, like, ring-fenced and, mm. you know, half the teams aren't included. So it's just a, it's just a dumb idea all around. You know, hopefully it goes the way of the world t- 12s. Remember that thing that came out with much fanfare and Skullberger <laughs> endorsed and that just went oh, away Skull. within like two weeks and no one mentioned it again. Skull's biggest error. It's way, oh. way faster than his hair. Bigger <laughs> error than eye gouging Luke Schwitzer? Uh, about not, par, about it's, par. It's not ballet, okay? <laughs> to go speedily. <laughs> that was, yeah, that was an interesting take on a. Yeah, that was pretty bad, so maybe I'll say it's on par. I'll agree, yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, yes, I mean, we didn't, we didn't speak too much in France. I mean, personally, I think... Yeah, I mean, I just wanted to say, in terms of individual performances in the whole Six Nations, I mm. think um, France's win at Twickenham against England was probably, like, the highlight in terms of France really turning it on and being able to show what, what they've got. Um, putting 50 on England, Twickenham is mm. no mean feat. Well, and biggest ever loss at Twickenham. Yeah. But since the current coach, then captain, took the biggest loss at <laughs> yeah, Twickenham. Exactly. And, and they were really showing like their skills, like running from deep and just putting England to the sword. So, like you were saying, it was a slow start from France, but coming up to this game, they showed with a performance like that, you know, everyone's going to be scared come the World Cup later this year. So Yeah, it was interesting to listen to the, the, the Rugby Pass offload podcast had Thibaut Flamain 
Flamet, Flamet, Thibaut Flamet, Flamet, Flambay, Timon Flambay. There you go. Um, he doesn't play like a warthog. Or is that the meerkat? That's the meerkat. <laughs> he plays more like a meerkat. Tall, skinny lock. Anyway. <laughs> Um, and he was saying it was actually a really good wake-up call for the squad that they'd kind of come into the Zik Nations potentially a bit cocky, like a bit undercooked, and that like that lost to Ireland kind of galvanizing. Like, Wait, hold on, you guys aren't the best team in the world. Like you're not going to just walk the World Cup. So it's you know potentially a, a bad thing for the rest of the world rugby, and, mm. and you know as it's kind of shown they've grown into themselves throughout that tournament. Um, so I think they're going to be in a much better position come the World Cup. Um, whereas Ireland, you know, it's like, and I I'll, I'll always make this comment and. I can see his face already shaking. I don't but, know what you're going to say. You know, <laughs> it's all very well that Ireland have won the Six Nations and won a Grand Slam, but they beat a shitty England, a shitty Wales, a shitty, you know, yeah. not a shitty Italy, a good Italy, but an Italy off a low base, a Scotland, a good Scotland, but Scotland aren't a top four yeah. or five team in the world. They're a good version of Scotland. So the only team that they beat wasn't potentially and arguably off kill to France at home. No, I'd agree with that. So yes, they won a Grand Slam, they won it comfortably and no one can take that away from them. Yeah. But it's not like they were severely tested either. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a very different situation to playing in Hamilton or playing at Loftus. Um, and, you know, that is just things it's always in the back of my mind is that I'm not going to get too carried away by any result in the Six Nations because you, A, you only play teams once. Yeah. So you know one ever has a chance for revenge. And as you saw in the Rugby Championship last year, we smacked the All Blacks, they beat us. Australia smacked us, we clapped them back the next week. Argentina beat New Zealand, New Zealand annihilated the next week. You know, a lot of teams can get up for once of wins, and it's great that they did a five games in a row, but it still doesn't quite, it doesn't, yes, they did it convincingly, but it doesn't like be like, oh, cool, they've come to be world beaters now. Yeah. And it's like, I think, you know, playing against France and France, us, New Zealand, it's a different ball game. It's going to be a, a big step up from what they did in this tournament. Um, That's very fair. Whereas, but what France did against England, that's a scary result. Yeah. Like, that scares me a lot more than what Ireland did, I think. Yeah. Um, so I agree with you. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not against that. And I think Ireland, as much as they've played what's in front of them and shown that they can mm-hmm. beat what's in front of them, I agree. They haven't been, especially playing France at home, because France away would have been by far the toughest thing that, and maybe better preparation for them. Maybe it would have been good to, mm. you know, play in Paris this year before the World Cup. So I think they've done as well as they could, but that doesn't mean Who, that everyone where, else Where did they play Scotland? I think Scotland were at home, that one. Okay, so they played their three toughest games at home as well. You know, yeah. They played Wales in Wales, and they played Italy in Italy, and every, all the other games were at home as well. So it's, you know, I think, I'm again, not trying to, deride them I'm just think maybe you know we shouldn't give them quite as much credit for their domination as I think a lot of people are giving them I think it's <laughs> worth just tempering that um, with a world cup with an eye to the world cup yeah, I mean they're a quarter final different. team right yeah they're a quarter final team so if they have expectations for that they won't be too disappointed <laughs> yeah, I think you know I've been saying for a long time now I think France hosting the next world cup France have to go in as favorites yeah, um, I, I would say so. I think, you know, Ireland winning the Grand Slam, good on Ireland. They were the best team in the tournament. But there's mitigating factors, and I still think France probably go in ahead of Ireland on home advantage. Yeah. I mean, who would you say is the scariest team on their day at the moment? Yeah, France, I think. If there was... The only way that France wouldn't be um, 
favourites, I think, if there was a properly dominant Southern Hemisphere team, which there isn't at the moment. Like, New Zealand are not as good as they've previously been. I don't see New Zealand being able to turn it up to their full level. Yeah. Springboks on their day, I think, can definitely be France in France. But yeah, yeah. I, I, I think yeah. That, that, yeah, and, and this is caveating with, you know, Springboks haven't had the most consistent record. Mm-hmm. But I think on our best day, we beat France on their best day. In France? Yeah, I don't know about it. It's, it's, it's tough. I don't but it's tough. But I think, I think, I think if every team is playing to their yeah. max potential, yeah. if we play our best game, we beat Ireland. I think just, that doesn't stress me yeah. because we'll just put their forwards to bed and then that's but game I think over. The same, same with, with New France, Zealand. And like, possibly the same with France, which is why, even though I was asking, I would probably possibly back you in the sense that like maximum That's what I'm saying. Potential. Max yeah. versus max. And I think that's why Ireland you know, do deserve a lot of credit is yeah. that they play at 95 to 98% every single game. Yeah. France play started the tournament at 80%, ended at 95, 98%. But I think France's 98% is a lot higher than Ireland's 98%. I think South Africa's is better than Ireland's. I think sure. New Zealand's even is better than Ireland's on their good days. If you have good day versus good day, yeah. Ireland just hit their good day yeah. so many more times so much more frequently yeah you know and i think and that's huge credit for them but, exactly yeah. you know to win a, t- a tournament like a world cup you need to beat teams that are gonna fire on their good day once or twice like it's, it's just inevitable and i don't know if ireland's peak is high enough to beat other teams peaks mm. their average 100 percent is, is more than good enough as is evidence in the rankings as is evidence in, in all the recent results you know again not taking that away um yeah springbok for france springboks france in France during the World Cup would be an incredible fixture. Uh, I mean, the, the Springboks also have a way of getting themselves up for World Cup. Yeah. Especially with Sia and Rassi, they seem to be a motivational duo. Um, and Nigel Owens now. And p- potentially Nigel Owens, is, is that confirmed? Or? I think it's a, everything but the line is signed. Like, as okay. far as I understand, there's been more developments this week there. Like, Nigel Owens. gonna happen. Yeah. Well, that, that's, yeah. So I think the Springboks will be a force to be reckoned with at the World Cup. and. Uh, I listened to an interview with Danny, uh, was Danny Cipriani, and he was saying it's, it's almost unfair that like the Springboks with the South African context just have so much more to play for and can just get themselves up like no other team in the world, just because you know playing for South Africa is so much more meaningful than playing for other countries just because of where we come from. So they can draw on things that other teams can't, whether it's our history or how shit ESCOM is, it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's going to be a, a very interesting one to see the way it unfolds. Um, I think that just about wraps up our Six Nations chat. I mean, I don't know if we want to talk in Scotland at all. I mean, they played better than expected. They had a couple of really stand up. I mean, that back line is magical when it mm. fires. And they played without Darcy Graham the entire tournament. He's back now in the URC. He was probably the form wing in the tournament before he got injured. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, Scotland, again, like you said, they're a good version of Scotland. But are they a top four or five team? Yeah. Still no. Um, even with forward, all don't have the forward pack at least. Yeah. Jasper Visa very comfortably showed that again on this weekend. Yeah, jeez, yeah, he ran straight through that guy. Well, I mean, he, in, in 35 minutes or something, he made 10 runs for like 90 meters, <laughs> broke like 10 stats. tackles, yeah. three line breaks, got a try by running over like three people. Yeah. I mean, it just, yeah. he got man of the match off the bench. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, those stats and were incredible. Kind of single handedly yeah. won that game for Leicester. I mean, it was an insane. Yeah, I know Edinburgh couldn't handle him. Yeah. Uh, even with. Another beefy South African on the, on the wing for Edinburgh, who's been phenomenal. I mean, shit, he scored some amazing tries in the Six Nations. Yeah, and, um, and the centres too, like the, oh, that partnership, yeah. right? It's been growing, I think. Yeah, so Hugh, Hugh Jones has just been up and up and up. 
But yeah, I think incredible. it's yeah. I mean, I think a lot of credit does need to go to Tupelotti for just drawing. Mm. I mean, if you've got Van der Merwe on the outside and you've got Tupelotti on the inside, like no one's looking at you between the <laughs> two of them. You're the last thing that people are looking at. So of course, there's like 50 meters of space in front of him. You know, he's just yeah. picking beautiful lines <laughs> through like but a he, field. He's also got that thing where he's, because Tupelotti is such a big guy, people have to focus and they don't expect. And he's got like his kicking is really really got good. Really yeah. good subtle yeah. skills. Little grabbers and stuff like they. It's, put yeah, it's like Mao Nonovich actually. And in his late like, yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, it took a while. Like mm. I don't know how old Tupelotti is. Like, I think mid 20s. But it took Nonovich a while to be able yeah. to mm. get the all round game as well as. And that's that's the thing, you know. If, you, if you're drawing three defenders just with your presence, you know that creates so much space. Like, and if you've then got the skill set to, you know, kick, pass, grubber, like, you know, of course, Oaks around you are going to score and throw mm. flourish. I mean, apparent. I mean, I can't remember who it was. I was listening to podcasts also. Who was someone's chatting, talking about Nani, who's like what forty-one or something now, playing in the MLR, <laughs> and he kind of just like jogs around, <laughs> and every now and then he just decides that he's going to do some mad world best player in the year, like. <laughs> shit and he just just does stuff and everyone scores and then he just kind of just carries on joking around the field <laughs> just having it's a just good like he, you know you i think you know guys are like just operating on a on a mad level and i think particularly when you're playing like a, a standard down in them a lot but yeah when um, you guys got guys like nanu and bastero and stuff playing in these u.s leagues it's just unfair i mean that should yeah. be a lot i'll never forget a story of when carlos spencer after i think he got fired by the lions he must have been in his mid-40s by this stage or something he came and played a game for like a local club side down my side of the world, like for like the seconds or the thirds or something. <laughs> and you know, he was just kind of running around and he would just like go to like the center of the wing and be like, cool, just run here and be there in three seconds and put your hands up. And the guy was like, what? He's like, just do it. And the guy would do it and that ball would end up in his hands and he'd have 20 meters of space in front of him and he'd just walk in a try. And he just, <laughs> Carlos Spencer just did this repeatedly. Like he could just um, make, because he was, you know, I mean, he's yeah. just on playing on like, you know, this is obviously exaggerating, yeah. but levels above. Yeah. So far. And no, he could he's just, not exaggerating. Um, you know, pull strings to just make space happen. Um, anyway. Yeah. He, he and Michelac are like the only two I can think of that can do the magic like that. Phil's thinking hard. I mean, oh, Rose's like. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's, he's, he's <laughs> benching for the Sharks Curry Cup side at the moment. That's just, Matt's, you know, I'm sure Matt hasn't noticed because otherwise he would have mentioned it. It's quite a, quite a sad fall from Grace that he's benching behind Friends Alinger. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I don't know if that, that's a good enough segue to get into Curry Cup very, sure. very briefly. Um, we're seeing, a, yeah, just dominant performance from the Pumas carrying on from where they left off last year they are sweeping everyone in their path Grick was doing pretty handily um, a couple other sides all floating around in the middle you've got the um, Cheetahs when they're not playing um, Euro Cup or whatever the B League is mm. you know Lions are in their Challenge Cup Let's Challenge Cup <laughs> show around some respect please EPC <laughs> um, you know the province Grick was Lions Sharks all on two wins um so they were kind of there and they're about newly promoted Griffins are not bottom of the log, which I think is surprising a lot of people having beaten the Bulls over the weekend. Um, that's the first Gr- Griffins win in the Curry Cup in like 45 years or something. <laughs> something ridiculous. Um, but yeah, look, it is tricky for these teams, you know, particularly the guys playing in the, the, the Challenge Cup and the Champions mm, Cup, yeah. stretching squads across, you know, I mean, particularly for teams like the Lions and the Cheetahs, you know, that have got limited resources to start with. And now you're trying to split teams across these two things, uh, across these two tournaments. Um, the team that doesn't really have an excuse is, is Province and the Sharks. I mean, if you look at that Sharks Curry Cup side, like that's a lot of URC experience in it. Um, Province less so, but 
both of them going down over the weekend, Sharks losing to the Lions, Province losing to the Griquas. Um, so it's, yeah, it's not, not all roses there. Um, but yeah, it's really nice to see the Pumas just dominating. I mean, if they and playing some of the most insanely beautiful rugby. Like if you want to go check out some cool highlights, yeah. just go look at what the Pumas are doing because they are flaring. Yeah. Like it's better, I mean, as good as anything, any of the mad stuff you see coming out of New Zealand MDC. You know, if you wanted to see some like completely mad skill attacking rugby, like watch the Pumas, watch the Curry Cup in general. Like the fence is not really a thing, <laughs> but they they score some very cool tries. Um, I don't know if you guys have caught much of the of the Curry Cup. Just the highlights here and there, but um, yeah, Jimmy Stonehouse is doing a job. Hey, I think he's he's going to be like, uh, can you be like given the key to the city of <laughs> no, spread Mombela or whatever? Because that, that has, been, has he not been given it already? Because I mean, surely, surely, he's hey, like the spirit of that. Place. He, he manages to pull these players together out of I don't know where, but uh, they're playing exceptional rugby, and they had that one try which had like eight offloads and oh, went across the field cool, two or three yeah. times and two kick passes and. Just incredible, incredible rugby. It's really, very really cool to yeah. watch. And so much of it is like, uh, not necessarily amazing players themselves because a lot of them came from other teams, but um, as a collective, yeah, they're just well and above every, any other team at the moment. They it's smash just, the cheetahs. It's like a money ball thing. Just yeah. like get average players together. That, that, that's literally their business model. I remember yeah. an interview from a couple of years ago that Stonehouse said that if we don't get like 10 players recruited a year, yeah, then we've, Bail. Not doing our job. <laughs> exactly. Like our job is to take average players and show that they're really good, and so we buy them cheap and we sell them on. That's what's keeping because it's not. <laughs> yeah. It's not. You know, they've got a World Cup stadium. They've got us what sixty thousand, fifty thousand seater stadium. It's not full, but it's. I mean, it can't be full because because there's not enough people yeah, in Hellsborough. I think <laughs> the population of the town is like less than double that. Right? But that's that's the point. Is this, so they they're thriving. They they're surviving on on simply buying and selling players. They're yeah. trading players basically, yeah. and they're doing a really good job of it. Um, no, so no, for sure. Like and then you look at the last one that's just left, Vili Engelbrecht, who's now playing for the province. Mm. He's yeah, he's he's really playing well. really, really well. Yeah. Um, no, that's that's their business model, and it, yeah. and it works well for them. Yeah. Mm. Devin Williams hasn't been picked I was up by say, someone. He scored two really good tries, I think, this weekend, yeah. and he's been pretty consistent. They're mm. back for the last couple of seasons, more than a couple, I think, and he's looked good. So I feel like he's a Lions player, though. Like I don't see him fitting into that. <laughs> Although he could replace Blomikis, <laughs> but I mean, he, he yeah. feels like a Lions player more than he feels. You know, I don't think the Sharks, he doesn't fit into the Sharks or the Bulls environments, really. I mean, don't the Sharks cause need to replace, who is it, um, Takia Abrahams is signed for one of the French teams. So he's yeah, gonna, yeah. He's going to be uh, a bit of a hole somewhere, so. Well, I mean, Abrahams has been like third or fourth choice to the Sharks, in my, realistically, yeah. like, you know, they've got a couple of, of other wings coming through, and they've, they've bought a couple of youngsters. Yeah. I mean, if you guys look, you know, got like Penke playing uh, Curry Cup, mm. and, um, yeah, that's true. Who's the other wing? Um... Can, can Devin Williams play wing? I, don't, I can't remember. He's mostly a fly fullback. Yeah. Um, anyway. Yeah, they've got Fassi there. They've got Butter Chamberlain. Yeah. You know, there's enough, there's fullback. enough options in the Sharks ranks. I don't think that's... But also, I just don't think he fits that system. I think the Sharks are a bit more controlled mm, and sure. structured. Yeah, he might be able to play in the, the Western Province. I'm saying, pro, pro, you know, if the Province can play Blomikis, they can play Devin Williams. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Like... Um, I think the Cheetahs will start improving in the Curry Cup because now they're knocked out of the yeah. Challenge mm, Cup. So yeah. I think you'll see the resources going into there and they'll start uh, putting well, performances together. We need the Cheetahs to win, right? Because it's a World Cup year. So <laughs> this is the tradition. For sure. What, what are, they've got a long way to claw back from there. What are the other... Because it's the Cheetahs, Curry Cup. There were some others too, right? Um, 
In well, it hasn't Cup been game. 12 years, so we're already ruled out on that one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, number six wearing the jersey, the captain's jersey. We still got that going. Yeah, that's um, still, that still works. Uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll go through the list and report back in the next yeah, pod. Um, so if John Smith had played open side, is that why we lost in 2007? No, we won in 2007. <laughs> yeah. What are you talking about? 2011. Um, 2011. No, I, I, I can't remember all the list of the omens. But speaking of the Challenge Cup, I mean, Phil, here's, here's, we'll keep, to dedicate three minutes to you talking oh, yeah. about that Lions performance over Racing 92. Yeah, it was really good. And I mean, there was a red card in the first half, which made it very difficult. So to Tuka, who's you know, one of the Lions' better players. Yeah, so I mean, in three weeks, which feels... I don't know, I feel you put a message on the group yeah. when it happened and I agree, it, it looked a little harsh in live play and now they've, they've yeah. followed through and backed it up, I don't know. So it was one of those where Shatuka made a really, really good break from his own half and he was running with so much pace and then he was penalised for going in with his forearm into the opposition player's neck and it was one of those tough things where I felt at first it was like, oh, he's done nothing wrong, but then you see the highlight and it's like, wait, there's... There's definitely foul play. He's going in with the leading elbow. But for me, not too dissimilar, but also quite different to the Freddie Stewart red card in the England Island game. Where mm. there's, for me, there's clear mitigation. The other guy is coming in low and he's coming in like with his head. So if Shatuka didn't do what he did, I feel like there would have been head contact or there would have mm. been something. Like, I think he sh- should have still got a yellow card, probably, Shatuka, but there's clear mitigation for me, which brings it down from a red to a yellow. So I was really disappointed with that. But I don't want to spend my three minutes on a red card. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I think even the two weeks before this performance against um, Racing 92 were really good. So two really good URC performances. And Shatuka and Frankie Horn, those two players, I think, are the two mm-hmm. players who are really standing up at the moment. Ron Penter. Ron Penter got man of the match this week. Ron Penter, he's like, I don't know if it's Lions players not getting as much recognition as they should or what it is, but for me, and he is still a bit young, so he's still got time. 20. But Ron Penter going forward as the next big blind side for South Africa, I think. It it depends who you look at. If you read Twitter, they are losing their minds. At least my Twitter is losing their minds (laughs) on Ron Penter. Like every performance I see from that guy, it's everything I love to see in South African blind sides. Work rate. And just physicality. Yeah, I mean, he's just ending people. I mean, it all started with that bounce on Hamish Watson, Watson right? and yeah. he's just not stopped. He's he, just continuously folding people in attack and defence. And, and I absolutely love it. Yeah. I'm all there for it. I really hope he sticks with the Lions. But I mean, even someone else. I, I think I saw a Twitter thing also today. But Edward Fanamova has been playing really, really well, mm-hmm. and he doesn't quite get that recognition that you know maybe he would be getting if he was playing for a better team. And part of it is just the Lions are less visible, I think, and their results are all. Not as, like, if the Stormers or Sharks win in the Champions Cup, that's more impressive than in the Challenge Cup. But um, it's been a really good few weeks. And if the Lions win their last two games in the URC, they have a tiny chance of making the playoffs. They're currently 10 points behind Munster. And Munster <laughs> have two games in but South Munster Africa. Munster also, like, fifth. So exactly. sure they don't need to come that far up. But the problem is it's not in their own hands. Yeah. But they have two winnable games um, and then pushing those playoff spots. An eighth place would be amazing. So that's what. Yeah, I mean, if we could get all four South African teams into the Champions Cup next year, I mean, that would be. I mean, the fact that we've got two into the quarters in our first year is already great. Yeah. Like we are really just underlining, despite what everyone says. Yeah. 
underlining that we deserve to be there and that we are. Mm. Although okay. whoever comes eighth is going to get screwed because there are not going to be any Welsh teams. Welsh yeah. Team, yeah. So, <laughs> okay, so the line's still line. Because <laughs> yeah. then they can just win the Challenge Cup. But realistically, it's going to be like a Scottish team or something that's going to get screwed by coming eighth and not make the yeah. Champions Cup. Well, it, it's, um, it's, it's hope it's but, but they make playoffs. So if they came eighth, they would make URC playoffs, which would be amazing. Yeah, which is, I mean, then they go to Leinster and take 50, but that's besides the point. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's not, not deriding the, 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 the lines. It's just they're playing Leinster. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, look, it is one thing to just mention is, you know, look, this wasn't exactly a, a full strength rushing side. I mean, I think sure. when we saw those lineups, I mean, I, I mentioned yeah. it, I was like, they're not taking this game seriously. Yeah. Like they had, you know, Cameron Walkie was playing. I don't think I recognized any of the other names. And it's, it just seems like a, a French, I mean, because Racing were in the, the Champions Cup and then they just lost all their games because they didn't play proper teams. Mm-hmm. So then the top, I think the bottom Champions Cup teams go into the Challenge Cup and then they've obviously just thrown this game as well. So but it seems like quite a French thing that they they don't prioritize certain things sometimes. Yeah. Like I, my understanding is a lot of the times they'll send development teams to their away games in their normal league, yeah. which they can do because they have 45 games in a year or something stupid. So, you know, you can lose half your games and still make playoffs. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I think they just choose their battles, right? Like even in Europe, if they start well, like they might start by sending their best teams away. But once they lose a couple and they realize, oh, we're not going to you know, win the whole thing, then they like, let's focus on the league. So. Yeah, it's a very weird, but it's just such an unusual, as I said, and it's not just like, oh, we're going to win everything in the league because they'll still send yeah. weak teams to away fixtures because they just, and that's why like the French team has got such ridiculously strong home records a lot of the time. Mm. It's just because, I mean, yes, they're, you know, a team like Toulouse is good at home, but they're also playing weakened opposition a lot of the time. This is, you know, this is, I mean, caveat, this is, this is somewhat anecdotal, but it's, it is interesting to see that that is kind of seems to be the attitude in France that they they prioritize home games more than they prioritize certain other games. Whereas you know we we see in other competitions you know teams will only send weak teams weakened teams against the weaker teams in the league that they still want to win every single game. You know they, they'll play the weakest team they can to get a, that they can get away with sometimes. You know like the Crusaders won't play all twenty All Blacks against the Moana Pacific and they'll play like six All Blacks. No. That is the game this weekend. They better play Richie Moana. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's that that's as good as a segue as ever into um, Super Rugby. So, which has been a bit of an un- unexpected tournament this year. I and mean, I think it all started in the first was it the first match of the year um, when the Chiefs beat the Crusaders. I think it was. Um, yeah. And you know, the Chiefs have then from there gone on to you know have a six out of six record so far. So they are riding high. Then you know, beating the Blues this weekend and in, in you know crunch game. Um, you know. Potentially decided by a Bowden Barrett glory moment, um, <laughs> or maybe just a Tupavai work rate. One one can argue either way. But you know, whereas the Crusaders, on the other hand, have gone on to lose a couple of games, losing to Fiji uh, or the Fijian Andrua in Fiji, which is you know was a cracking result. Um, you know, you're seeing teams, strong teams from last year, such as the Waratahs, kind of fading away. You know, the Andrua, as we've mentioned, doing really well. The Rebels out outperforming expectations. It's been a yeah a very interesting year so far. Um, what do you guys make of it? And how's your fantasy prospects doing? Uh, I at least managed to beat you this last weekend, <laughs> but, um, but that's that's me coming off a pretty low base. I've not had a great season in in any of our draft leagues, but uh, and and beating the guy that is also coming last. It was very much a, a wooden spoon <laughs> battle in that league. I don't think either of us can shout about much. No, that was a basement battle for sure. Uh, much like the Highlanders in the New Zealand. Uh, conference at the moment except for maybe the minor Pacifica but shame they don't really deserve there deserve to be there 
Uh, I didn't really choose to be there. It's maybe no, 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 no. I mean, so the Highlanders have won their last two, but against I think it was the Force and and Moana. So not too much to read into that. They're definitely I think the worst New Zealand team, properly New Zealand team. Uh, my beloved Waratahs are just uh, not pitching up this year. They've had a few unfortunate injuries. Uh, Angus Bell probably the the headline one in the first first game of the season. He was what second pick in the draft. Yeah. And he's, he went down, and um, that might have even happened before our last episode. Uh, but they've not really picked themselves up. Um, is Tane Edbed injured, or has he just not been playing fly-off? I think he was dropped, yeah. I think he was <laughs> dropped for Ben Donaldson, and Will Harrison's back now too, so we'll yeah, see where they're at. a bit of a jam the there, Tane, for them. Did you trade for him? <laughs> <laughs> I thought about it. Uh, I can't get enough for it on my team. Although they got, got Edmund, can I get them from something? I think Matt, I'm just a fan of Edmund. Really? I think Matt's got Edmund. Matt would, would pick a ginger. Yeah. Does he have Christian Edbed? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Is there an award for the most gingers in your team? Can I sell him Colin Should Grace? Be. Can I swap him? <laughs> talking of gingers, the Reds have been shit, I think. Yeah. Shitter than expected. Um, they've, they've, they've also been on a... I mean, they... But, it, but it's all the... Astra- I mean, if it wasn't for the Brambies having done as well as they yeah, but have. the Reds have been shit against the other Australian teams you know, like yeah, lost to the Rebels yeah. so, but that's what I'm saying because we were saying the Highlanders have had a really poor season so far but they're coming sixth so the only teams above them <laughs> are, other than the Brumbies are the New Zealand teams so as badly yeah. as the Highlanders are doing they're beating all the Australian teams other than the Brumbies yeah, that's mad six, and they so. you know the same points as the Drua yeah so it's, it's really been a poor season for Australia in general. That's ridiculous that New Zealand are the five of the top six. I did not realise that and that's that's poor. Yeah. So the yeah. Brumbies have looked pretty good, but other than them, it's not been a lot to write home about. Yeah, I mean can we talk about the Drew? I mean they've had some incredible results. Yes, and they've been playing some exciting rugby. Yeah. So much fun. I think one of the, one of the surprise players so far this year is the centre. I think it's Masi. Joseph mm, uh, Masi. Yeah. yeah, so he, like, just out of nowhere, you know, like last year they had a few players because it was their first year who came out of nowhere and really surprised us. But he didn't play last year and he's been one of the players of the tournament. And, and they're number seven, I think. Mm. Or am I think, is he from Pacific? A miracle something. Miracle right? five, yeah, he's, yeah. 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 he's playing. Player. Oh, okay. But yeah. And they, they found him out of like a. Like a talent search combine thing that they did. Oh, really? Yeah, that's, no, good. that's cool. He, he wasn't playing professional rugby. And he has an amazing name. Yeah, and he does. It's like literally a miracle that they found him. Uh, yeah, they found him. They, they had like a talent search thing, and, and is it Lynn, Lynn McDonald that's their coach, eh? Yes, um, he's Blues coach. Blues coach. Okay. Aaron Major. Aaron Major, Aaron Major, sorry. Um, he went out and went with the scouts to like four or five locations around the islands and, and had the, the guys try out for different things had some trial games but then did some of these like 40 minute sprint kind of things and strength tests and whatever and miracle finally came out of that that's awesome yeah that's very very cool because he's been playing really really well does anyone own him but that's really cool yeah because most of their players are like sort of um new zealand based and playing the npc but having a story like that is mm. part of the reason why i mean the whole the whole moana pacifica like vibe I don't know what else to call it apart from that is it's just really cool because they're a trust yeah. they're like a non-profit organization run yeah. by the community basically like they're there to represent like pacifica culture and it's like a huge part of their roots it's like yes they're a rugby team and they want to perform and stuff on the field but there's so much more to that team that they're really gen- like genuinely creating and believe in and you know it's, it's not just words because as i said they're owned by the community it's like a mm. 
it's, yeah, it's just a very, very cool like story. I mean, if you've yeah. got time, go look it up, read about it, because it is worthwhile. Um, it's probably worth mentioning before we end here, just that um, in this season of Super Rugby Pacific, it's been record-breaking in terms of points and ball-in playtime, and you know, these new rules that they've brought in have seemingly, at least Not ball-in playtime, that's the one thing that hasn't changed. Oh, well, we couldn't find the stats. Or oh, they have, they haven't released the stats. Yeah, but but yeah, oh, I mean okay. like I mean, restart timers in half, um, wasted timers in half, like match duration kickoff yeah. to the yeah. end of the game is down by like six or seven minutes from like ninety eight down yeah. to ninety one. Time between scrums and lineups. Yeah, and so all, all of that stuff is super down. So we, which implies that you know ball and play is a greater percentage of total time yes. at the very least. Um, it wouldn't have gone down, but it might, might not have gone up. But you know, the point is you're not wasting any time anymore. So you know, if you're still playing the same 36 minutes or 40 minutes of the game, it's a lot larger chunk of the, the match time is actually now running around moving, and that's going to lead to the fatigue. That's going to lead to increase in tries in the last 20 minutes and those types of things that you're seeing. Mm. I mean, they said, I think at this stage last year, there were 230 tries scored. This year, they've been 300. Wow. Yeah. That's like, it's a ridiculous increase, yeah. increase my, in, in my brain is not working, but that's a big percentage increase. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's just under a third. I mean, it's, it's a lot. So is that the future of rugby? You think those, we can consider I, those trials a success? Yeah, I, I'm sure they, I mean, I think in the, some of the other tournaments, they haven't been pushing as like rigorously, but they've tried to speed up like less mm. huddles, fewer The huddles. thing is, a lot, a lot of these things aren't... Um, law changes they're just enforcements yeah, you know i mean exactly. I, and that's the thing we've, we've said for a long time is like all the rules kind of exist there are some technical ones you know around crocodile rolls or jackals and stuff like that that maybe need some functioning but like the kickers have 90 seconds that's always been the rule no one's just people yeah. that have enforced it. it's the same thing with yeah. the skew, skew put in a scrum uh, like that's still that's that's a, that's a rule <laughs> it was like for like half a season but my point is that like no one needs to change yes, the rule yeah. there they just need to just blow their whistle and it's the same thing with all of these ball and play times that like you know, they, none of these things are rule changes. They're just enforcement of existing rules. Yeah. Um, and, and it's good that they're doing it. Because, um, yeah, it is creating a lot more dynamic games. Yeah. The, 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 the scores are going up. Um, although one can also raise the point of, is this just... I mean, if you look at the NPC, you look at the Curry Cup, like, defense is just not a non-focus. People are playing fancy flair attacking rugby. <laughs> is the, the removal of South African teams and this whole focus on Australasian rugby being the fast fun and sexy running rugby you know teams are just leaning more into that brand and neglecting defense like how much of it is genuinely fatigue causing more tries and how much of it is just them being like ah alas it's more fun to attack and we're just ignoring that <laughs> facet of the game maybe I mean we probably need to have some more some more games and do the stats on that to work that out like you know, how many tries are scored per quarter or something like that some, some no, but, 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 that's, but the same thing you know either way you're going to have more tries I mean okay and I hear what you're saying but later games but I think it is just something that one must cognizant of is maybe there's just a cultural shift in the game yeah. that may or may not be correlated with our exit it might, might be just a general COVID break that people are reinventing themselves as the more attacking mind rugby yeah. but it'll be interesting to see how this then flows yeah I mean I, into I, into like and, and maybe just the caveat point you know if you look at a Chiefs Blues game serious game 2013 you know that's in a test level intense match the Blues Crusaders game that's test level intensity like the serious games when it's not like Highlanders versus Chiefs or Reds versus anyone. Well, <laughs> didn't take that well. You know, like, like on the those are the ones where the, the scores on both sides. So I think the, the better team kind yeah, of no. comes into it with a bit more a carnival atmosphere. Yeah. 
and the weaker team then can score more tries as a result. But the winners, two proper teams lined up against each other. Like although yeah. then again you got Brumbies Waratahs, which was you know, probably a record for that fixture. I mean it was what seventy five <laughs> points or something. I like. mean yeah. obviously when the South Africans were still a part of Super Rugby, the Lions and the Cheetahs would regularly have you know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 65, 50, you know even against whoever. Like there were a lot of high scoring games, and sometimes even the other teams like Stormers and to some degree I guess Sharks, but. A lot of it, yeah, is it's all like relative and based on different things. I think conditions in the northern hemisphere is always such a big one. Mm. You've seen in the URC, like at the beginning when the weather's good, the even the fantasy scores are like a lot better. And then once you start having these like ten six games with like one try, things just get a lot bogged down. So whether it's weather, whether it's you know whatever, there are a lot of different um, reasons. That's, that's going a very on. fair point. But, but on the on that note, I think. You know, the fact that we made a, a coherent, like conscious point, I think that that's probably as good a time as anything to end off. <laughs> um, yeah, a, a rare, a rare occurrence in a pod no. like this. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I just hope you guys have enjoyed our first in-person pod. I certainly enjoyed that mm. a lot. Um, it's nice to have a more of a casual conversational atmosphere. But yeah, thanks, Phil. Thanks, Andrew, for making time and being in town. Um, and we'll chat to you guys in a month. Yeah, thanks for hosting. Thanks. Us.